looking at both sides is really powerful. And that even helps me with anxiety because I go, mm. okay, I have the ability to imagine the absolute worst in this situation, but I also have the ability to imagine the absolute best. Yes. And that's really amazing. So oftentimes I encourage women to use that same very active imagination and to mm. use it to envision the different parts of you, kind of like IFS, or to envision what if, like yeah. a, an exercise is like, what if this goes swimmingly? What if I do this amazing work and it's fulfilling what if and so I love is sometimes in my journal when I'm having a hard time I'll just go what if and everything that comes after that has to tune into like the best parts of my imagination welcome to the living centered podcast where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life rediscovering reclaiming and rooting in to who we truly are I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey friends, today I get to introduce you to award-winning author Nadine Kenny Johnstone. Hannah and I had a really special conversation with Nadine about, well, about so many things. Our innate wisdom, embodiment, the power of journaling, and the importance of writing and owning our stories. We loved this conversation, and I hope that you do too. And as is often the case on this show, I walked away feeling inspired, encouraged, and empowered. I even took one of the exercises and journal prompts she talks through in this episode and did it that very evening. Nadine is a holistic writing coach who helps people develop and publish their stories. Her latest book, Come Home to Your Heart, is an essay collection and guided journal that helps readers tap into their innate wisdom. So without further ado, meet our new friend, Nadine. Nadine, we are so excited to chat with you. And before we get into the what you do, I would love to know a little bit more about you and maybe by way of what is a snapshot of your current season? Mm, Okay. So I am a mama of a 10-year-old boy who is our whole world. In fact, his name is Geo, which means Earth World. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yes. And I am a writing coach. I help women develop and publish their stories and essays. So I'm into that. But the big thing that's happening right now in my life is that I just released a book. It's a guided journal and essay collection, and it's called Come Home to Your Heart. Mm. And so I have been um, just traveling about and getting to meet with readers and doing book tour things in the most like delicious way possible. I planned <laughs> my events so that it wasn't a overwhelming, exhausting situation, but more of a, oh, okay, let's stay true to the messages that I have in the book. And let's meet with groups of women who I really love to connect with. And let's talk about journaling and meditating and how writing can really feed into our wellness. So I'm in book tour season, but have been really mindful that it's not a exhaust yourself season. Mm. And so right now I'm in Door County, Wisconsin, where I just led an intimate women's writing and wellness retreat with six women. And Mm. we like danced and we did journaling and meditating and we did noticing walks in nature. And I had a local woman um, come and do like a spa party. I called it a goddess party. It was just like the most dreamy stuff. That's what I'm into right now. That seems like you've brought a lot of rest to a very not restful season from yeah yeah, a lot of the authors that I hear and interact with and we've had on this podcast it's such a stressful season you uh you know spend time however many months pouring your soul into this book and then it goes through the publishing process and the editing process and then you put it out into the world and you kind of do a second wave of a sprint (laughs) and so I'm so glad that it's been so restful and dreamy and lovely 
In in 2017, I published a memoir, and I was a little bit earlier on in this sort of spiritual journey that I've been doing, and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much it can just kind of take over your world. Mm -hmm. And I did find myself as excited as I was to finally talk to readers and be out and have this thing that I'd worked so hard on be out in the world. I remember the pace of that time, and so this time around, I was really mindful as I was planning out what this season would look like mm-hmm. to have it be a sustainable, enjoyable yeah. process and not a yeah. frantic one. Yeah. So what's happened what? in those six years? Everything <laughs> has happened in those six <laughs> years. It's, it's actually been kind of a, a decade-long process, but 10 years ago, we moved from rural Massachusetts, where my husband is from, to the heart of Chicago, where I'm from, with a one-year-old. And I was just missing my village, my mom, my sister. I was missing my writing community. I'd grown up um, and done most of my schoolwork in Illinois. And so we made this impractical leap to move to the heart of the city with the one-year-old. And it was that early motherhood season of working really hard and doing all the things at once that really just got me so burnt out that I had to reassess my life. So I was a full-time writing professor. I was writing myself as a professional, new mom, living in the city. And it was just like, I was saying yes to everything and Mm -hmm. was saying no to myself, essentially. And what happened, quite honestly, was just that panic attacks became a regular part of my life. And there was a time when I was driving our son to school and had a panic attack on the drive. And Mm. I was like, well, I can barely function, let alone operate a vehicle, and this can never happen again. I've got to do something to calm my nervous system because this this is not sustainable. I can't live like this and I I can't be the mom I want to be if I'm like this. So it began a very intentional changing of everything in my life. I started seeing a holistic practitioner really tending to my mm. mind, body, and soul. And so the last 10 years have been a journey of Will this calm my nervous system or not? (laughs) Those are the Mm -hmm. questions I'm asking. And going to yoga for me isn't enough. I used to think like, well, if I go to yoga Mm -hmm. class every day, like that's my tuning into myself. And if I was still that anxious while attending yoga class, then something else needed to happen. So it's been a complete overhaul of my life, my choices, Mm -hmm. how I look at every decision I make. And of course, journaling has been a big part of that. So It's been 10 years of gathering all of the things that help me feel better and Mm -hmm. trying to do those as much as possible (laughs) and letting go of as much as possible too. I love this like through line of both like how you're doing this book tour differently to that moment when you decided you need to live your life differently and whether people can relate to the specific of publishing world and whatnot. I think we all can relate to getting lost in something, even something that we love, whether it's a relationship or a a profession that we love. And so I think sometimes when we get, we're so passionate about something, we can get burnout, we can lose our boundaries, we can really let go of our nervous system, as you're explaining, or just lose touch with it in a way that is balanced because it's for the sake of something we love. We're like, but I'm really passionate about this. I, I can imagine, I make up that like when you were teaching writing and getting to coach all these people, it's like, like this is what I wanted to do. Like I, I've signed, I know I've gone into seasons of like that where I'm like, oh, I signed up for this. This is what I've been working towards. And I'm, st- something's not right. Like, yeah. and it still hasn't brought me that peace or that comfort that I was looking for. And so often at onsite, we get so many people like that. They're like, uh, this doesn't feel like I thought it would, whether they're to a per- certain point in their career or they've gotten that family they've always desired or whatever it is. And so I like that there's a through line in all of it. And I would love to explore the concept of your book a little bit more too, because that's what it sounds like it is. It's not an uh, invitation to come back to your dream plan <laughs> or an mm-hmm. invitation to come back to the 10-year goals. It's like an invitation. I don't remember the, the exact name of the book uh, to come back to your heart and mm-hmm. come back to who you are. And so 
Is that kind of what inspired that book for you and the purpose of writing this invitation for people? Yeah, Hannah, I'm really happy that you mentioned that, that we can do work we really love and it can still burn us out. There's a misconception that, oh, we only get burnt out from hustle grind that we don't really love anyway. No, I mean, the wrong fit. Right. And and I went to school to become a professor. Like I spent years of graduate school to do this. And when I got a full-time professor job, that was a big deal. And I love my students and I love teaching and yet doing all the things at once, even if you love it, can lead to total burnout. And I feel that anyone who's listening who is doing a lot of what they love, whether it's work-related or family-related or passion or hobby or what have you, that then it puts a shame on top of the shame of like, oh, well, I shouldn't be feeling burnt out because I love these people or this situation. But that's not true. You can get burnt out from the very things that you love. So yes, the book was certainly based on that feeling. It was really written for me, essentially, I I called it a relief manual. I had it on my computer as little lessons Mm -hmm. and notes to myself that I was learning along the way of, okay, remember the next time you get stressed out, here's what I want you to remember. Here are the prompts that really helped you in the journal. Here Mm -hmm. are the practices that really calm your nervous system. So it was just for me at first. And Mm -hmm. then I was at a, a writing workshop and everybody was going around and, and reading their stuff. I was a participant. And I thought, well, all I've been writing are these little letters to myself. And they're really personal. And they're for my journal. They're for me. But it's what I've got to share right now. And so yeah. I read one out loud. And it's called Fierce. It's in the book. And the eyes of the women in the room just got really big like they could understand what I was talking about. And a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, that was exactly what I needed to hear right now. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, other people are feeling this way too. And I realized that all of us who are in a state of transition, which is probably everyone, new, new job, new role, relocation, widowhood, caretaking, new mom, it doesn't matter. Whatever transition you're in, there's a sense of overwhelm and uncertainty. And we are scrambling. Like, what do I need to do? Where's the wisdom? What do I do next? I feel like I'm lost. I don't know who I am. Something's missing. And I wrote the journal as an answer to all of those Mm. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few years ago, we had um, Shauna Nequist on the podcast and she recommended the book, Life is in the Transitions. And it was a really beautiful reminder for me that we are constantly living in transition. Like the number of transitions that we go through in our lifetime, it like averages like every six months or something. Um, And so that we're always in transition. And the dedication of your book is for the women who have desperately been missing themselves. And Mm. I read that. And I took a deep breath and it just really hit me that we can get really busy in the midst of those transitions, managing the logistics, managing the details that we do miss ourselves. Um, And so I was wondering if you would kind of talk a little bit about what does that look like to be missing yourself? What are some of the signs that we might be like, maybe we feel that, but don't know how to recognize it, if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I That dedication truly is from the heart. It's to the women who have been desperately missing themselves. Welcome home because mm. I want mm. the book to feel like a coming home. And I'm so happy to hear that it it spoke to you because that's what readers have been saying a lot is that that line in particular speaks to them mm. because at the core of our deep loneliness or deep sadness is that there's this void and as you were saying Mackenzie like it's spot on you're busy in this cyclone of stuff And it's all supposed to bring you joy. 
Mm -hmm. And yet it's not exactly meeting the mark. Like maybe there's a little bit of joy or success or satisfaction or, but it's like, this doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. And I've done, I put so much work into this thing or this Mm -hmm. job or this relationship. And it's not feeling the way I I hoped or thought it would feel. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that typically when I go somewhere by myself, whether it's a walk or retreat, I take myself on dates to the coffee shop. I have a mug of something nice like chai with myself. I go, there she is. (laughs) There she is. And I go, oh, this whole time it's me I've been missing. Like I keep yeah. thinking something is going to fill the void. The, that other person will fill the void. The job will fill the void. This, this position, this thing will fill the void. That place, I have tried everything to fill that void. I think we all have. Yeah. And nothing quite fills it unless it's time remembering me and remembering who I am at the soul level. It's like I get a glimpse of her and I go, oh, there you are. I remember Mm. you, remember you. And it's such an exciting feeling. And so the book is designed to really first help you just listen to yourself and Mm -hmm. remember yourself and true to Onsight's goals, rediscover yourself. Um, Because it's like we all have this flame of light and joy and all the busyness of life has just kind of snuffed it out. And then Mm -hmm. when we start reflecting and we start tending to it again, we go, and it's like it's lit again. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about how people often are missing themselves. What What came to mind for me is like, not only are we not accustomed to slowing down enough to see ourselves and to not miss ourselves. But I think people and from my own experience, especially as someone who's been socialized as a woman, we're often taught not to pay attention to ourselves, you know, like we, it's selfish to like take that. And it's basically a good thing. I think in a lot of my social upbringing to miss myself because I'm being busy taking care of X, Y, Z in front of me or sacrificing for whoever is in front of me. And so I think it's such an uncomfortable thing for people to start to do when you do start to pay attention to yourself. And even like you say, going on a date with yourself, like I, if I'm honest, that sounds a little like scary to me. Like, what would I do with myself? You know? And, <laughs> I, and thankfully I've had some practice in that over the years and I'm getting much more comfortable and enjoying learning from me, from her inside of me. But I think for a lot of people, that journey of paying attention to self and learning from self and making space for self is really scary. And I think at Onsite, we see a lot of that uh, of people that have spent their whole lives, 40, 50 years, really not knowing themselves because they have lived in these fabrications of what they should be in a lot of different areas of their lives. And then when you do slow down, it's like, oh, man, like, yeah. Who is she? What does she want? Like, and I wonder if some of your work um, helps people not just kind of create that space, but engage in a safe way with self to invite self home. Yeah, yes, yes. So what we find is that, yes, as women, we're taking care of a lot of things. But I also think there's something else to it is that we don't really know what tending to this self or self-care yeah. is what is it actually supposed to be? And so then that puts another level of uncertainty or guilt or shame on top of, I know I'm supposed to be tending to myself and doing this self-care thing, but if it's not, if it's not getting a pedicure and it's not these other things, then what the heck is it? And I know I'm supposed to meditate or journal, but when I look at a journal, I see a blank page. What am I even supposed Mm -hmm. to do there? So almost a bit Mm -hmm. of like anger or uncertainty arises of, okay, I'm going to try to make the time. Now what? No one has taught us what, no one has taught us what to do. And it's scary when we have been hustling away from our feelings to be in touch with our feelings. At first, it's like, well, I don't, right. I don't want quiet time with myself. That's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. avoiding that. Or women say, you know, 
a lot of people talk about like following our hearts. Well, one of the most important aspects of following our hearts is like getting directions from it. How do you get directions if you're not in touch with it, if you're not Mm. listening? And so really at the beginning of this process is, is a looking within, is a listening of what do I already know? that's right deep within me and so many of the beginning prompts are about getting in touch with her so one of the most kind of popular prompts in here that I do at my retreats that that's quick and it's easy as a way of starting that relationship again it's what I call the five c's letter and it's a letter from our wiser self. I call it a wise woman letter as well. That's another name, but it's imagining this version of ourselves that's maybe six months from now, a year from now, that has deep wisdom that's been through Mm. the, the muck and murk of whatever we're in. And she is writing you, present you, a letter. And first, just envisioning her, this wise version is like, oh, it can feel a little odd at first, but it's almost kind of exciting. Like there is a version of me that's so much wiser than this moment that is not caught up in this cyclone. And imagining her, typically women imagine someone who's very calm and confident, and they see exactly what she looks like. Some people imagine someone who's five years out, 10 years from now, it doesn't matter, but you imagine this wise version and you create a little ceremony around it, whether you're using your favorite journal or lighting your favorite candle or being in your favorite cozy spot. And just for five minutes, you let her talk to you. And Mm. I give these different prompts, but one of the first ones is, is compassion. So you let her talk to you in a really compassionate way. So for me, it's always, hi, sweetheart. Like she always calls me sweetheart. She's always <laughs> really tender. Um, other people get kind of like jokey, like, hey, fine thing. You know, you could do whatever. But she's really compassionate. And you have to maintain that compassionate tone throughout the whole time because you at the soul level, your wiser self She's not rude. She's Mm -hmm. not sassy. She's maybe sassy in a fun way, but she's not mean to you ever. Yeah. So you'll know when you're in her voice, when she's really compassionate. She's wise and honest, but compassionate. So she writes to you compassionately. She recognizes, she connects with everything you're going through. So she'll say something like, I see you. I see you're going through this right now. And you just feel relief. Like, yes, I am. I am going through that right now. And then more of the connection comes from, I have prompts in there, like your deepest longing is, what's your desire? What do you want right mm-hmm. now? Your, your greatest knowing about this is. The stuff that mm-hmm. comes from that prompt, like I'm like, you are wise. You do know what to do. I'm saying, I don't know. I don't know. You do know. <laughs> and she writes. And then there's a clearing. Like, you know what? This isn't serving you right now. And then there's a clarifying. What are my next right steps here? And then we close really compassionately. I usually like to close with something like, I'm really proud of you for. And to just be seen by her and have all of that written and to hear what you need to hear and to tap into that inner wisdom, you read it back to yourself and you go, who wrote that? (laughs) That's amazing. And sometimes the advice is really simple. Like, honey, you need to sleep. You haven't gotten a solid seven or eight hours in weeks, months. Sometimes right. it's really profound. Like you you need to leave this place or you need to stop that job or, you, you know, it, it depends. Mm. But that is a good initial practice for how do I even get in touch with myself? That's a really helpful way to do so. Yeah, that's really helpful. I can't wait to do that myself. I think <laughs> so many of us, any sort of emotional health journey. I think sometimes when we start out, we look for other answers from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we like, we're like, I want to find a therapist because I want them to tell me what to do or like whatever. Yes. And you know, anyone who's been to therapy knows that's not how it works. And so <laughs> um, I love this practice too, because we do have that inner wisdom in ourselves. And so many of us don't give ourselves the space and, and kind of awkward silence with ourselves to sit there and say like, what am I saying? What do I have to offer? Um, so I love, I love that vision of inviting your future self to kind of speak into that, that 
version of a wise self is really beautiful. And I think it's Mm -hmm. important to say too, like you obviously help women kind of identify their story and reclaim some of that. And, and I know us on this conversation, I'll identify as women here. And so that we're speaking from that tone as well, but so much of this is all universal. Like men also need like whoever, however people identify this invitation. I think for socialization on both sides, whether yeah. you were socialized to think it was selfish or socialized to think it was, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever connotation, mm-hmm. um, your idea of knowing self and self care looks like. And um, I think we all have different interpretations of that that are holding us back from that true thing. And so, whatever, whoever is listening to this, I want to make sure that it's an invitation for everyone and that everyone has that wiser version of themselves to uh, speak to them as well. Hey there, thanks for joining us for this episode. I hope that you've been enjoying this impactful conversation with Nadine. So much of this conversation reminded me of the work that the participants of our Living Center program undertake week in and week out on our campuses. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may already know about Onsite's flagship program from which we claim our name. The Living Center program is a six-day workshop led by expert therapists who will guide you in exploring, deconstructing, and rewriting your narratives. Our beautiful campuses and retreat-like setting allows you a break from your daily distractions and provides the clarity needed to reestablish congruence between your feelings, values, and actions so that you can live a more intentional, meaningful, and fulfilled life. This world-renowned group experience is specifically designed to meet you right where you are. If you're wondering if this experience might be right for you, our admissions team would love to connect with you and answer your questions. You can call them at 1-800-341-7432 or visit experienceonsite.com to start the process. Even though primarily my work is with those who identify as women, this these themes are universal. Yeah. yeah. Just, anyone can tap into their wiser self and see what they have to say. And anyone can feel like I am just in a state of transition. Why am I not feeling better right now? Why, why do I feel so lost? They are not alone is Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to get at is that everyone will feel like they've been missing themselves at one point in their lives, if not every day. Every yeah. day there's yeah. a moment where I go, hold on, where are you? <laughs> Hand to heart, hold on, let's yeah. check in. What's going on? Good. Mm. I think we often say it on site, you have everything you need inside of you. And even just that idea um, has been really freeing for me, but also really scary because I think there's some self-doubt that comes with that. Like, what if I don't actually have it? Um, if we had a, a guest on a few weeks ago and she was talking about the wisdom in our bodies and it's something that it's, I've been on a journey of trying to really um, embody myself. I think that's probably been my journey for like four or five years, right, Hannah? She's been with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just leaning into embodiment and not having like my mind and my body, but like my body is me. Mm-hmm. But she was saying that we have the same way that we kind of say like, oh, the trauma of generations before me, I carry that in my body. But simultaneously, I also carry the wisdom of, you know, thousands and millions of years of people who have gone before me. And so thinking through that lens has just been things that I've been noodling on lately of, okay, what do I have from my own experience that can relate to this situation? But also, what am I carrying inside of me that I can just tap into from the Mm -hmm. people who've gone before me? And so I just wonder if you can kind of speak to that idea of, how do we tap into that knowing if we're starting to listen? I love that practical thing. But maybe there's like an even a mental barrier of like Trusting hearing ourselves. just myself. Yeah. You know, is this like, yeah, how do you help people kind of get around that mental barrier too? Yeah. First of all, I love embodiment work and mm-hmm. um Hillary McBride is like <sighs> my favorite love embodiment her. person. She's I know. So yummy. <laughs> Her voice alone, when she was on We Can Do Hard Things recently, mm-hmm. I just wanted to replay that episode over and over again because <laughs> just her voice brought my nervous system to such a calm level. I was just like, I just want to listen to you speak over and over again. And so, yes, I that idea, Mackenzie, of just like, yes, we 
all, we hold trauma in our bodies and also wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think looking at both sides is really powerful. And that even helps me with anxiety because I go, mm-hmm. okay, I have the ability to imagine the absolute worst in this situation, but I also have the ability to imagine the absolute best. And that's really amazing. So oftentimes I encourage women to use that same very active imagination and to Mm. use it to envision the different parts of you, kind of like IFS, or to envision what if, like an exercise is like, what if this goes swimmingly? What if I do this amazing work and it's fulfilling? What if, and so I love sometimes in my journal when I'm having a hard time, I'll just go, what if? And everything that comes after that has to tune into like the best parts of my imagination. Or Glennon Doyle has that beautiful question of what's the most magnificent version of your life that you can imagine? What's the best story of your life that you can imagine something like that. And I love using our imaginations for that, that kind of work. But in terms of getting back to your question of, of just like trusting ourselves, here's a really powerful thing that I recognize um, recently. And it's in the book as well, which is I was going on a noticing walk, which is what I do to get in my body and to get really present and Mm. to not be walking for exercise or for any purpose. Like it's a no purpose activity. It's just like, let me just absorb all the goodness. So I go for these slow noticing walks. And because my brain needs a job in order to be present in my body, the only job I give it is just to notice. Okay, you want a job? Mm. Notice the beauty around you. That's so so walking. good. Yes, I walk very slowly. I do this at the retreats too. And the women are like, oh, they love being in their bodies and just noticing. So I go on the noticing walk. And then you, without fail, you immediately notice all of these delightful things. And one time in particular, I was going on a walk. It was fall in Illinois, and I I saw this maple tree. And I was like, has anyone seen this tree? (laughs) Like, how are you all just (laughs) driving by this tree? And I was just, and I'm looking at her and I'm like touching the leaves. It's on someone's like property. And I'm I'm just like touching (laughs) and imagine them looking out at me going, what is this woman doing? And I am just in awe of her magnificence. And I'm going, you are gorgeous. And immediately a voice in my head said, what if she looks at you the way you look mm. at her? What mm. if nature looks at you the way you look at it? What if the universe looks at you the way you look at it? And mm. I was like, whoa. And that immediately made me feel like I embody goodness and wonder and light and joy because if nature and the universe looks at me the way that I look at it, then I'm a pretty magnificent being. (laughs) And if I look at a tree and I go, you're so wise, I know you're wise, you've been around for a long time. And if that tree looks at me like, you're so wise, you've been along for a long time, I start to build this inner confidence. Yeah. So whenever I go out in nature and I have a moment, as I do all the time of, I immediately go, it's right back at you. And I think Mm -hmm. to myself, wow. And it just starts building that trust that we are these wise, magnificent Mm -hmm. beings that can, we can trust ourselves. We are Mm -hmm. so wise. That's so good. And it's making me think of that practice we do at onsite. Sometimes I've had um, uh, some of our guides do it where like if you name it, you can claim it, or like, it's got like a pithy title, but it's basically when you're in a group and the concept is if you can call something out in someone else, it's something that you also carry and Mm -hmm. just recognizing that you wouldn't be able to spot it if you didn't have some inner knowing or understanding of it. Yeah, that's good. Um, And so if you're saying to the tree, like you are magnificent, you are wonderful, then obviously so are you, you know, I just think it's such a really beautiful principle. Um, and I was really tearing up at it. It was just such a, a beautiful, huge, profound thought of how important 
and beautiful yeah. and magnificent we all are. So well, thank and, you for and sharing no that. Ma- yes, I'm, I'm so glad that when I talk about these things, I'm just so happy to know that it impacts other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things that happens, we live by the beach now in Florida and mm-hmm. um, we moved from Chicago about 10 months ago. And when I walk down to the water, I try to do it once a day if I can. And I walk down to the water and I look at the ocean and it does not matter if she is stormy and wavy. I look and I go, oh my God, you're gorgeous. Like you're beautiful. And I always say to myself, this never gets old, never gets old. Like it is always beautiful to me no matter what is going on. Even sometimes when it is stormy, I'm like, yes. Um, And it's a good message to us about embracing all of our parts Mm -hmm. that there is that unconditional love. If we can imagine ourselves as the ocean, whether we are stormy or calm, emerald or, you know, whatever color uh, topography of water, it's like we are completely loved by the universe and by ourselves. Mm. And that's really helpful to remember that even when we're in states where we're kind of embarrassed of like, I'm really angry or mad today or frustrated and I don't want anyone to see me. When I look at the ocean and I see it and I still think it's amazing, then I think to myself, I'm going to look at you, meaning me, the same way I look at the ocean. It does not matter if you are Mm. enraged, I still think it's wonderful. And, and I'm interested in why you are. I'm not going to shy away from you. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm not going to think less of you. I want Mm. all of this. I want all of you. Mm, That's so good. When you talked about that and also going on your noticing walks, it made me really think that noticing is a practice. It's not just a mindset. Like you have made it a really intentional practice in your life to do. And something you mentioned earlier about how you started writing this book was that you just wore, it sounds like kind of noticing what has worked for you in the past of like, hey, remember this, this is how my nervous system works. And I know you talk about in your book, uh, kind of the remembering the practice of remembering and uh, we can't remember if we don't notice. And so Mm. I wonder if you could kind of speak to both uh, noticing and therefore having the ability to remember and why that's important when maybe the ocean of our lives isn't like a pretty sunset today. Maybe it is more of a storm or whatever we're Mm -hmm. facing. And so why that noticing and then remembering it has to be a practice in our lives so we can therefore weather these transitions or weather these hardships we're going through. Yeah, that's a good question, Hannah. I think about, um, I was once in a women's group of just really wise, incredible women. And we were talking about all the things on our plate And one of the women is a therapist. And she said, one of the things that I tell people who come into my office who are really overwhelmed is that you don't need to add more to your to-do list in terms of self-care. I just want you to give more meaning to what you're Mm. already doing. Mm. And that really struck me because I thought, yes, that's it. It's not that we need to add another thing. It's that What about if what we're already doing, we assign meaning or sacredness or noticing to, noticing is Mm -hmm. honoring to me, but to notice Mm -hmm. something is to honor it. So if I am doing the dishes and I notice how the warm, warm water feels on my hands, I am making even that mundane moment meaningful and sacred. And it's an act of noticing and honoring. And so it's going, it's kind of like a nod to life of like, I'm not going to rush past this. I'm going to notice it and Mm -hmm. therefore give meaning to it. And then it becomes sacred. It becomes a ritual rather than a routine or something we have to do. So I think what I always try to do as a writer and why I think journaling can help anyone, even non-writers alike, is that to me, it's an act of reverence. Noticing something and enough to jot it down is me saying to it, you're important, you matter, whether it's mm. something in nature or a moment in life. Like I think of writing as the way that photographers think of like a good shot. Like I'm like, that was important. I want to capture it because if I mm. capture it, I will honor it. 
And if I honor it, I'll remember it. And if I remember it, it can serve me in the future so that I mm-hmm. either don't make the same mistake or that I um, go about something in a more intentional way next time. And so I wrote uh, a chapter in the book called Remember Today. And I I wrote this remembering letter because I noticed that every winter in Chicago, I would get really, really down. And every time I would get in that place, I would feel like it was going to last forever. <laughs> like right. winter was just going to keep on going for years yes. and decades. And, um, and I wanted to remember, like, it's not always like this. Or mm-hmm. when I was feeling lonely, I wanted to remember, like, don't always feel this way. So what I started doing is anytime I ever felt good or happy, I would write a little remember note. Remember this. Remember how you felt when da da da. Remember today. Remember this moment. You'll need it later. And it's almost like I wanted to bottle it up like a perfume so that when mm-hmm. I was in a hard place, I could just kind of go dab it on my neck. And this is a helpful exercise that people can do is writing a simple remember today note or compiling a bunch of them or even having a jar with slips of paper, you know, remember today. Really what's probably more practical nowadays is having a note section on your phone, remember today. Because we always have our phones with us. And that remembering, that honoring, you can look back on when you're having a hard moment and go, okay, there is that too. There's this hard moment, which mm-hmm. is real. And there's also that wonder and joy. Mm. Yeah. That's so I like that you spoke to honoring because I think a lot of us don't love pain or hard things. And I think sometimes if I want to notice things, I would just want to notice like, oh, the pretty colors of the tree and the way my baby laughed or whatever. And those things are really worthy of noticing. And also there are so many things around us worthy of noticing that we need to honor that are can be hard. Like, oh, I really want to honor like my resilience in this grief, or I really want to notice like, hey, you, the way you handled that conversation, the way I handled that conversation today, I'm really proud of. So I think the the honoring piece, I love that you framed it that way, because it is an invitation to notice all of the things, not just, and claim them as good. I think we want to, we want to like whiteboard, like this was good, this was bad. And it's like, no, like, what have I learned here? What is this going to inform my wisdom? My person who can inform my wisdom. How is that all teaching us things? And how do we get to honor it all? So I like that you framed it that way. Well, it makes me think about um, in April of 2021, within a span of 24 hours, I held my father's hand as he was dying. And I embraced my sister as she got engaged within 24 hours. Like, talk about holding both things in your heart at one time. Yeah. I just, my parents are divorced. And so my sister and I have different fathers. And so I got the call about my father from the hospital, from the nurse at the hospital. And we, I knew he had been sick, but nobody, nobody realized his cancer was that progressed. And I think mm-hmm. he didn't want to tell us. So I get the call from the nurse. And I know that the very next day that my sister's now husband was going to surprise propose to her. Mm. Right. And of course, I want to be there too. And I'm just going, how is it possible mm-hmm. to experience this amount of grief and this amount of excitement? for two different family mm-hmm. members at the exact same time yeah, yeah, and hold it all there and not mm-hmm. shove any one thing away. So it is really difficult. We want to just outcast any of these negative feelings and yet the two coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote an essay about this because I, I remember that that spring just feeling So like, how am I feeling both of these emotions? And my immediate instinct was to be like, no, I only want to feel joy. But I realized that because I held my father's shaking hand, when I the next day embraced my sister after she got engaged, I could, I mean, I was bawling and I could just feel all of it at once, that there is life and loss at the exact same time time. And I thought about how do I hold this in my heart and 
I, this line came into my head that love is not the opposite of loss. It is the answer to it. Like Mm. I'm going to live this life with all of its grief and loss and hardship. But the way that I'm going to go about that is through love. I'm going to hold these emotions with love. I'm going to have a mint julep with my sister at her engagement party, even though I'm deeply in grief because I'm honoring her too. Yeah, And then I can cry later that night. Like all of it can coexist. All of it can coexist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think it needs to, if we want to learn from that wise parts of ourselves. Like if we just were to shut off those, that grief or that anger, whatever it is, I don't think we'd have that wisdom. Uh, I think Brene Brown talks about like how we can't shut off one emotion. We can't just decide like, I'm not going to feel these hard things and I'm going to feel the good things. Like we, when we do that, we shut off both. And so Mm -hmm. I think in order for your wisdom to tap in, you needed to allow both. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was so beautiful. Um, I today, I feel like I told Hannah before we hopped on this that I feel like the tears are right um, on my eyes because I am ending one season and starting another, um, ending my time in Nashville after a decade. And so it has been a, a really beautiful conversation with you today and to remember and to notice that has been something I have been doing, but not putting those words to it. And so I'm really grateful for you and leading out in that today. As we kind Mackenzie, of run can up I this... ask what you are noticing about yourself in this conversation? Yeah, like, I know. I'm like, I want to ask you questions, Mackenzie. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like I have been noticing my tendency to look to the next thing and really wanting to honor and sit in all that this season has been because the the move has uh, felt a little bit out of necessity sometimes of needing more support for our little family, needing uh, a change of season just kind of feeling it in our uh, needing a reset for our family. And so wanting to honor the really good things about this and honor who I was 10 years ago when I moved to Nashville and honor that person rather than just jumping to the next one and jumping to, okay, here's the new thing that we need to do. And it, there was nothing good about this and remembering all the good and all the great and remembering what I carry with me. That's what I'm noticing of like what I'm carrying into this next season. So. Mm, yeah, that's really beautiful. I do think our our defense mechanism wants us to just go poop and move forward yes, because it exactly. doesn't want to feel all of the emotions. Um, but I think it's beautiful how you recognize the importance of this past decade and and who you were when you came and how you've grown. And sometimes too, I think the noticing um, and remembering it can't happen even months from now. So as someone who also has done a big relocation, I've noticed that it took me a little bit of time to finally allow myself to to feel what I had left and honor it rather than just go, Mm. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) And to also embrace the new. So it can be a, a long process. I'm so um, grateful for you sharing about this transition. And I hope you give yourself grace and compassion as you go about it. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to know all the, like, what did that transition look like for you and how are you doing that? And I had all the questions. (laughs) So I am grateful. Thank you for this space. I feel like this is a little bit of a cheat, but we often ask, what is a practice that keeps you centered? But in the vein of your new book and in the vein of a lot of what you shared today, I would love to hear how do you prioritize journaling? What does that practice look like tangibly for you? Hannah and I are both saying we like the idea of journaling, but aren't good at it. I like having my journal to look back at, but I don't like the practice of it on a daily basis. So what does that look like yeah. for you and how have you been able to build it into your life? Yeah, that it is so important because certainly it's like if somebody knows that journaling is helpful, but they just have the blank page, you, you'll feel icky or overwhelmed seeing it. It'll almost like repel you. You're like, I know I should do that thing, but, and 
so that was my hope that with the prompts and the guidance in each chapter that it would feel more of an invitation and less mm. as a repellent, more of like a, almost like a buffet of like, yeah. here are <laughs> all of the things that you can do in a journal. And I don't Super helpful, right? And and my hope is that when people are done with the journal, they'll just kind of take their favorite couple of things and and continue on and mm. it develop into a practice. But for me, what does it look like? So it it changes on the season. And I think this is really important. While, of course, I'm such a structured person that I'd love to say, every single morning I do this, this, and this. Well, now that my kiddo's home for the summer... It looks a little different than it does during yeah. the school year when he's out the door in the morning. <laughs> and so during the school year, it looks like um, my husband handles the morning routine and I go move my body and then I meditate short. 10 minutes and then I journal for 10 minutes and I set a timer. That way I'm not worried that I'm going to get lost in the abyss and never get to work. And so I, I do like a 10 minute thing. And I usually do that wise woman letter. Lately, though, I've been doing a lot around receiving. Mm-hmm. And so it's more mm-hmm. of like, how can I receive help today? How can I receive a nudge from the universe today? Like I'm open. Um, and I do this at times when I feel I've been giving a lot. I go, okay, now I want to practice receiving because I'm really bad at that. <laughs> so I've been lately in my journal, um, now that Gio's home for summer and he'll be in summer camp, but not yet. He's he's mm-hmm. around the house right now. And so it looks like me doing like having my notebook and just stealing five minutes here and there. And when I have the five minutes, um, I'll sit and go, I'm open to receiving X, Y, Z. And I just free flow. Mm -hmm. And it's a a few minutes and I just instantly feel better because afterwards I go, well, universe, (laughs) you know, you know what my wishes are. And also, you know, that I'm open. I am an open door right now. So it just makes me feel better. That's what it looks like these days. That's so good. Well, Nadine, I want to be you when I grow up and I'm really grateful. Um, I don't think you're that much older than me, but I just want to be you when I grow up. So all that you to say. are fabulous. Oh, thank oh. you so much for this time. Yeah, we are so, so grateful. Oh, yeah. This was this was really wonderful. You're both a joy to talk to. Yeah, you thank too. You. I've had so much fun. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.